So this past week, I, I got a coffee at a place called Pete's Coffee. You maybe seen the sign. It used to be a Caribou Coffee. It's up on Adams Road and uh, University out that way. And, and it's one of my favorite places. I go there often to write. And it's got a great ambience. It's got this beautiful oak table. And I uh, just oh, love it. And coffee is a little more expensive, but the ambience, I feel, is worth it. And so I went up there, and I was going to work on a, on a message, a sermon, right, for this weekend on suffering, of all things. So I uh, put my bag down, my laptop at the table, was all set there, went back to get a coffee and ordered a, a medium dark roast, how I like it, and a little bit, no room for cream, because don't need cream, because you got to drink it straight. I mean, I love the stuff. And stronger the better if you do the spoon test, that it'll stand up, all good. And so I took my medium dark roast after purchasing it back to the table, set it down on the table, which was right near the window, and uh, with that I opened my bag. And as I did, inadvertently, and some would say this happens way too often for you, well, it happened. I knocked over the coffee, the top flew off, it exploded, splashing on the window, splashing on me, burning hot, ouch, and as I couldn't stop it, it was too quick, it, it poured over the table, down the side, onto three chairs, uh, immersing the table floor around it, and, and it was just this huge mess. And one of those messes where you're like, I would go get a napkin to clean it up, except that would be like trying to soak up the ocean with a sponge, right? There is no cleaning this up by myself. I, uh, I am so embarrassed. And there's people everywhere, and everybody's stopping to look like, what's going on with that? klutzy guy and I'm like ah oh, what a way to start the day and with that I turn back toward the register and there the employees are looking over and I could just see them rolling their eyes I said I am so sorry but they graciously said don't worry about it we'll take care of it I'm like oh, thank you and with that one of the young ladies she disappeared in the back came out with a mop bucket and and I noted that the mop bucket was almost to the top with, with water. And I'm like, perfect, you're gonna help clean it up and it'll be all fixed and, and the mop. And she's rolling it out toward me. And as she does, she hits a spot in the tile and the mop bucket bumps over completely. And all of this water, probably five gallons worth of water, goes spilling out, spewing all over the floor like a tidal wave. Now, I'm going to say 300 square feet of area is covered with this wave that's now sweeping across underneath the register. Guests that are waiting in line are like, whoa, there's water. And, and at that moment, a woman comes walking into the store with her, with her cell phone, her iPhone, and she drops it inadvertently. It hydroplanes across the water underneath the register out of reach. And I watch them as they're grappling trying to reach this thing. And I'm thinking, what have I done? Now, if I was smart at that moment, I would have just kind of snuck away and left. But it got, to, got me thinking, I'm like, how ironic. <laughs> I'm here to write a message about suffering, and I just created it, right? You know, you, you've been in the midst of suffering. We've experienced it personally, we've seen it, we've witnessed it. And, and suffering, and, and I'm going to just lump into it because it's really part of the same discussion as evil and suffering. It's everywhere. If you watched the news this past week and you saw what's been going on in, between Israel and Palestine and, and the rockets that get launched back and forth, back and forth, and I, I was watching nightly news uh, with Brian Williams, and they were interviewing families on both sides. And, and here you had this 
Israeli family that lost loved ones in, in this rocket fire. And then you've got uh, an interview with a young mom in Palestine, in, in this Palestinian. She, she had all this paperwork all at her feet. And, and what had happened was there was somebody in, in their neighbor, I guess, suspected to be part of Hamas. And, and so the rockets, first they had a warning shot and they were fleeing, but they didn't get out in, in time and, and they lost some loved ones in it. But she... All their paperwork were doctor bills, thousands and thousands of dollars. They had gone into debt trying to conceive a baby. And she was so excited. She was three months pregnant for the first time, and, and, and things were looking great. But in her fleeing in fear, in the midst of the explosion, she miscarried her baby. And, and she, in tears, is saying, why, why, why? Fourth of July weekend in Chicago. How many deaths were there? All these shootings and, and people shooting others and gang warfare and back and forth, death after death and people in pain and suffering saying, why, why, why? A guy by the name of Lee Strobel, of whom I'm a really big fan. Lee Strobel grew up as an LCMS Lutheran like many of you have. And yet when he got to high school after he finished confirmation, Lee became a self-proclaimed atheist. He couldn't handle it anymore. It's like, how in the world, in the midst of this suffering, fallen, broken, messed up world, could there possibly be a God? He writes this in one of his books, The Case for Faith. He says, you know, we read stories, and he had just recalled an example of during World War II where one of the, the spoils of war is one of the, the, the army generals within the Third Reich who comes with a bucket 40 pounds of human eyeballs as a gift from his troops. It's like, are you kidding me? What atrocities. And he goes on and he says, you know, we read stories like that, horrible evils like the Holocaust, the killing fields of Cambodia, the genocide in Rwanda, the torture chambers of South Africa or South America. And we can't help but wonder, where is God? Or in recent news too, if the, the whole ISIS movement and the fact that they've been crucifying people, uh, some of those many who are Christians being crucified today. Are you kidding me, right? We watch television coverage of earthquakes and hurricanes in which thousands perish. And we wonder, why didn't God stop it? We read the statistic that 1,000 million people in the world last, lack the basic necessities of life, and we wonder, why doesn't God care? We may suffer ourselves with persistent pain or aching loss or seemingly hopeless circumstances, and we wonder, why doesn't God help? If he's loving and if he's all-powerful and if he is good, then surely all of this suffering should not exist, and yet it does. What's worse, it's often the innocent who are victimized. If only villains got broken backs or cancers, if only cheaters and crooks got Parkinson's disease, we should see a sort of celestial justice in the universe. But as it is, a sweet-tempered child lies dying of a brain tumor. A happy young wife sees her husband and child killed before her eyes by a drunken driver, and we soundlessly scream at the stars, why, why? A mention of God, of God's will, doesn't seem to help much. 
How could a good God, a loving God, do that? How could he even let it happen? So lies the question. And here's really our myth today. Suffering and evil, does it prove that God doesn't exist? A lot of people are asking this question. And you know what? It's not a new question. It's been around for a long, 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 long time. In fact, in ancient times, a philosopher by the name of Epicurus wrote this. We'll read this with you. Next slide, please. There it is. Epicurus said, either God wants to abolish it, speaking of evil and suffering, and he cannot, or he can but does not want to. Or he cannot and does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he's impotent. He's got no power. If he can and does not want to, he's wicked. But if God, is both, if God both can and wants to abolish it, then how come comes evil in the world? Notice how he's, his philosophical mind is thinking on all sides of this. You know, if, if God could do something and he fails to do something, well, our human reason would say, well, then God just is messed up. Or if God can't do anything about it and wants to do something about it, well, he's got no power. He can't really help us anyway. And he's reasoning that there's something wrong about the fact that there's evil and injustice and suffering in the world. And in his mind, he can't reconcile that. That's a problem and a question a lot of people have had. Not just Epicurus, but people have been through modern times. It's an ongoing dilemma. How do we deal with this problem of suffering, pain, and evil in the world? Another quote, another fellow questioner along the way is a guy by the name of Charles Templeton. Now, the interesting story behind Charles Templeton, he was a good friend of Billy Graham and actually was on the same track as Billy Graham in terms of his theological training and going off to plant churches. In fact, at one time, Templeton had a church of, a growing church of over 1,200 people that that God blessed to, to almost pop up overnight. But Templeton started to have doubts and questions about whether or not God really existed. And maybe a more accurate statement here is he became an agnostic versus an atheist in his later days. And this is one of the things that, that led him there was this question of suffering and pain and evil in the world. And he, he recounts seeing a, a magazine cover on Life magazine of a picture of a woman in Africa holding her baby who is starving to death in the midst of famine. And, and the article was all about the lack of rain. And, and, and in his mind, he just couldn't conceive of how could God possibly, all he's got to do is send rain. He's like, who's in charge of sending rain? It's not you and me. There's only one that we can point to, and that's God. And all he's got to do is just drop a few drops from heaven, and death doesn't happen for an, what seems to be an innocent family. And in his wrestling with this, he makes this statement. He says, a loving God could not possibly be the author of the horrors that continue every day, have continued since time began, and will continue as long as life exists. It is an inconceivable tale of suffering and death, and because the tale is fact, it is obvious that there cannot be a loving God, according to Charles Templeton. This is a tough one, isn't it? You know, it would be easy here to just give this simple, easy answer. Quote Romans 8, 28, for all things work for good for those who love God who have been called according to his purpose. All things, everything's suffering. You know what? That is true, and we're going to get to that. 
but we live in a complicated world and people who are struggling with that on a real level who maybe have no bearing of God to just say that sounds really trivial and really cheap. How do we answer this question in a real deep way that cuts to the heart and the core of where we're at as people? Because we know suffering and evil is very prevalent around us. Another quote from John Stott, a theologian, uh, very famous from Europe, and, and John Stott writes this. He says, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. And, and, and it just begs that question. How is it possible that God could allow suffering and evil in this world? If he has the power to do something about it, why doesn't he? What's holding them back? Um, they did a, a Barna research poll some years ago where they asked the question, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? Do you know what the most popular question was? It's the one before us today. Why is there so much suffering and evil and pain? What gives? Why? In fact, it was emphatic. It was like one in four people. That was their number one question they had on their minds. The rest were all over the board. But the one question that surfaced, why all the suffering, why all the pain, why all the evil? Well, that's the question today, isn't it? How can God exist if he allows all of this? Where do we go with this when we witness our faith, when we talk to people who are grappling with this? Where do we go when we're having doubts in our faith walk? In times of severe suffering or questions over evil, where do you go with it? I want to spend a little time on that with you today. First one, though, is the fact is we can't explain God away based on this one thing. You know, a lot of times people try to do this. They take this one question and they say, see, God doesn't exist. Well, that is to deny many other proofs that God exists. We're going to get into a lot of them over the summer months here in the next several weeks. But to think about that, this one question compared to, and there's a book out there of 20 proofs that God exists, and, and they're powerful. I mean, when you look at so many things, whether it be in, in nature, in, in science, biology, in terms of the universe and beyond it, as well as some of the simple questions of how is it possible that there is so much good in the world, where does it come from? You got to answer that question if you're an atheist. There's lots of questions to answer. For those of those, us who believe in God and Christ and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you know, we got to grapple with this one question. Why does he allow it? And, and when you contrast it back and forth and say, whoa, there's a lot more in favor on this side of saying there's proof for God than just this one question. So how are we going to answer that one? I, I love the story of the man who goes into uh, the barber shop one day and, and his barber is, is an atheist. And it just starts barraging him with all these questions. Like, you know, how can you believe in, in, in Jesus and in, in God? How can you believe? I mean, look at the world. It's all messed up. Think about all that evil out there and people blowing each other up and, and, and tornadoes and hurricanes and lives that just are going away. And how can you believe in God? And the man was blown away. He just didn't know what to say. He, he, he was just kind of silent. Like, I, I don't know what to say to that. And... And, and he felt defeated. He said, I, I, where's my witness go in this? I, I don't even know what to say. And, and when he paid the barber and he left, and he walked out onto the street, and he was in a big city, and all these people were walking by, hundreds and hundreds of people on the street walking by, and, and he looked among the crowds, 
And all of a sudden he had his answer. And he went back into the barber shop and says, hey, by the way, I, I just want you to know I don't believe in barbers anymore. In fact, I don't think barbers even exist. And the barber's like, what? What are you talking about? He said, well, really, I, I went outside on the street just now. Do you know how many people are walking around that clearly have not ever had a haircut or at least in a long time? They don't have any haircut. So therefore, barbers must not exist. Have a good day. And he leaves. God exists. And there are lots of proofs for that in the goodness of God, in the goodness of where he chooses to reveal himself. But if we rest just on the negatives, just on the evil, we don't get very far, except if there's a bigger story behind it. Now, our, our limited ex experience as people, and you think about that, are we really in a place to go before God and, and say, okay, I'm on the same level with God and I got it all figured out? And you know, put that in perspective of, um, I've, I've shared this before, we, I remember when I was a kid growing up. And, we had a, a dog, Rebel, and, and we were out hunting, and Rebel got his foot caught in a trap. And, and this dog that was the most docile, just loving, affectionate dog became rage-filled. And, and we approached Rebel, and, and he almost snapped off my hand when I went to help him because he was in so much pain in the midst of the trap. And, and you know what? We couldn't explain to Rebel that we were trying to help him. He wouldn't listen to that. We had to actually hold him back. And he thought, why are they doing this to me? Why are they doing this to me? Until finally we released his foot from the trap. You know, we could be in the midst of suffering today. And if we think we understand it and we're on the same level with God, is it possible God has a higher purpose for allowing evil and suffering in this broken, fallen world. And reason this way with me for a minute, if you will, and, and we'll go further with this, is, you know, if God were to create a world where everything was perfect and everything was good and there was no possibility for things to go south, what would that world look like? Some of you are already thinking, wait a minute, isn't that what he did? Oh, wait a minute. Because to start this discussion, and I, know, I mean, I know we're further than that in the message today, but you know, you think about it. Often we start the conversation at the end of the picture and say, look at how terrible and messed up the world is. Why did God make it that way? Oh, wait, he didn't. If you go back to Genesis and you see how God creates day after day after day and that week long creation of six days of creation, every day he says, and it was good. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then you get to the sixth day when he makes man and woman and, and it says, it's exceedingly good. It rocks. It doesn't quite say that, but that's what it means. God had created things to be good. There was no brokenness, no death, no suffering. But he also provided a possibility for that to exist. He did allow that. And some would say, well, how could he allow that possibility for Adam and Eve to fall? Why, why did he have to put that other tree in the garden that, that gives that temptation? You know, and I, I think one of the greatest reasons is when you think about it, God didn't create us to be robots. The, the ability to have a relationship, and you think about it in any relationship, is the ability not to love. And that's what makes a love relationship so profound is when there's the possibility of not loving. God wanted a true relationship with us and that ability not to love and to have evil that could draw us away. God allowed it because he wanted us truly to have a love relationship with him. 
That's one reason. But there's another reason that God allows it, because he also has an answer for it. God isn't one who creates the world and it's good and then watches as humanity falls into this trap in the, the, this dismal realities of death and sin at the fall. Right from the get-go, when God seeks out Adam and Eve and he says, you know, you have sinned. I mean, it's clear that he calls, where are you? And, and it's there that he lays down the curse. That there would be trouble and hardship in this world. By the sweat of your brow, the man's going to have to produce food. And it's going to be overwhelming. And there's going to be a power struggle between the man and the woman. And there's going to be this power struggle in humanity. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a struggle. But in that same breath, God says that he is going to send one who will bring the answer. And he will be bruised through it. But he will conquer God acknowledges that the one he will send will suffer already in Genesis chapter 3. And as that plays out through scripture, and we get to an example like we read in Isaiah 53, where we learn that God is going to send a suffering servant. That God is willing to get dirty and get into the pain and the, the brokenness of life. He's not going to separate himself with white gloves and say, not my problem. No, God enters into human suffering. He goes right to where it is. And he comes to be the answer for it. All the way to when Jesus is born and he starts his earthly ministry and he's spending that time with the disciples and, and, and they're still thinking glory. They're still thinking everything's going to be wonderful and perfect. And, and Jesus makes that statement, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem and, and I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And remember Peter's response in Matthew 16? He says, may it never be, right? May it never be, Lord. No way. No, no, no. None of the suffering talk. And Jesus responds, Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God. Get behind me, Satan. He says, unless one would follow me, denying himself to pick up his cross and follow me, you have no part in me. Peter's thinking like we all think, like suffering is bad. Evil is bad. There's no way that God could ever use that for good. And yet God comes into this broken world and through it actually accomplishes his mission to overcome evil, to overcome suffering. And the fulfillment of that is one who lays down his life and then rises again to new life. It's the one who declares victory over us today. No matter what our suffering circumstance may be, no matter what we see in the broken world around us, our God says there is victory in him. Romans chapter 8 says it so well. Let's read this. As Paul reflects, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he goes on to say, for I'm convinced there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Because the reality now is because Jesus has conquered even death itself is that we are living in a messed up world. And God acknowledges that. He says it's messed up. That's why he came. And that's why he conquered, because it's temporary here. We fix our eyes, as Paul says elsewhere, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is seen, because on, because, or on what, is, what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen 
is eternal. It's why our hearts are longing for something more. Suffering, evil, pain, struggle, they're all pointers of a longing for something greater, and God comes to give us the answer for it. That's incredible news. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what kind of doubts or fears you have, or if you're simply just spilling coffee, God is good, and he loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray that in the midst of this fallen, broken, suffering, evil-filled world, we would not lose sight of the fact you're a God who doesn't isolate yourselves from us, yourself from us. You, you actually enter into the picture of human history and suffering yourself to be the one who would conquer to be the one who gives victory and the one who brings the perspective that it is temporary and that suffering can be your megaphone to open our eyes and our hearts to something greater, our need for, for you, for forgiveness and grace, and that longing for eternity that you give as a free gift. Lord, may our witness in the face of suffering, in the face of struggle and pain, be bold, be clear, and be drawn ever closer to your amazing love, knowing that nothing can separate us from you. Nothing. And we thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.